0: yo welcome back everybody to another episode of the Isaiah kid podcast welcome back welcome back had to get y'all to yo real quick <laughs> uh hope everybody out there is doing fine i am doing well i'm your humble and highly favored host isaiah kid of the isaiah kid podcast the ikp how's everybody doing i'm doing fine i'm back in full effect Back in full effect. Haven't, haven't, haven't talked to you guys since the weekend. A lot has transpired. Um, and I, I, I must say, we got a pretty loaded episode today. I think we got a pretty loaded episode today. So we're going to make it a good one. We're going to make it a good one. We're going to make it a good one for sure. Um, uh, where should we start? Where should we start? I mean, I know today is the anniversary of Kobe's last game in the NBA. He dropped 60. That was a magical moment. Um, and a magical night because also that same night the 73 and nine Warriors made history with getting their 73rd win of the season. Uh, obviously, they didn't get the ring that year, but a lot happened on this particular day five years ago. Five years ago in 2016, Kobe Bryant played his last game as a Laker at Staples Center and he dropped 60. Phenomenal moment. Um. Obviously, (laughs) obviously, he wasn't efficient, but we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about that. Uh. Still, the fact that he dropped sixty is incredible, but 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 but, let's get into it. We got a lot. Let's go. Let's go. We got a lot to get into today, and I'm gonna start from the top. Oh, and and let me get this. I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm I'm gonna address the Julian Edelman situation. Ju Ju, and Julian Edelman he retired, and I'm gonna give him his proper flowers. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about that situation. I'm going to talk about that. <laughs> I'm going to talk about that. Okay, so Jamal Murray. So Jamal Murray, Monday night versus the Golden State Warriors. Um, The game was – it was a really good game. Steph was going berserk. Steph Curry went crazy. Um, Also, in the process of going crazy and losing his mind and just just nailing three-pointer after three-pointer, I think he had – 10 he had 10 made threes. Um he passed the great Will Chamberlain in Warriors in all-time Warriors in all time Warriors scoring. So Steph Curry is now the all-time leader in points for the Warriors. Um so tremendous him. Shouts out to Steph. But Jamal Mary and the Divin Nuggets, I feel I feel bad for them. Such a gruesome injury for a young star. A young emerging star, uh, Jamal Murray. So, if you don't know Jamal Murray, he tore his ACL, um, obviously season-ending injury, and that pretty much kind of that pretty much kind of ends the Nuggets' chances at competing for a championship. And I think the Nuggets, I think the Nuggets were a legitimate championship threat. Um, I didn't think they were going to win the championship. Um, but they were a legitimate threat to, you know, be in the picture, uh, at least at least, you know, trying to win the Western Conference, given the fact that the Nuggets went to the Western Conference finals last year. And it, it seems to be it seems to me and a lot of other people that they got better with the latest addition and acquisition of Aaron Gordon and JaVel McGee. Um, a, a lot of people had the Nuggets you know, really contending in the Western Conference and perhaps winning the Western Conference depending on what the matchup looks like. So it's a bummer to them. It's a missed opportunity for them. And I feel bad for that Nuggets team because they went from like a team that had high, high playoff postseason aspirations to a team where they'd be just fortunate enough to get out the first round. With Jamal Murray, all star caliber guard, um did you know obviously it, it didn't make the all star game, but we all can we all can acknowledge that he's an all star caliber guard and then in the postseason, especially last year in the bubble throughout the postseason, Jamal Murray just took his game to another level, he took his game to another level. Um, so much so where you had people actually asking and questioning, like, hey. Is Jamal Murray the best player on the Nuggets? And I can't, I I mean, if you want me to be honest, Jamal Murray, he had, where he was dropping 40 and 50 points, 40, 50 in here and there. At times last year in the bubble, he did look like the Nuggets best player. Now, obviously, Jokic is better, and Jokic is the guy, and Jokic is the better player. But it's the mere fact that Jamal Murray is able to he, you know, in the regular season, he's a all-star guard. Um, and then in the postseason, he turns into a legit MVP caliber type of player. And the Nuggets are going to miss that. The Nuggets are going to miss that element, that extra level that Jamal Murray can take them to with just with his play. Um, they're going to miss that, and uh, I feel bad for Jamal Murray. Uh prayers out to him and so forth. And it was one of those injuries where he landed, he, he, you know, he landed, he planted awkwardly, then his knee buckled. And then, you know, you can tell from the looks of it. I, I, it, it, you know, when it first happened, when it initially happened, I was just hoping it was just a really severe hyperextension, but obviously it looked it looked bad. And it was, it came out to be a torn ACL, so, you know, best of luck to the Denver Nuggets and Jamal Murray. Uh hope, you know, hoping him for a speedy and successful recovery. Um and and, and on the bright side is this. Hey, ACL injuries with today's medicine with an ava- with advancement in t- in technology and today's medicine ACL injuries. Um, over the last couple years, I've seen athletes bounce back tremendously from ACL injuries, and Jamal Murray, hes a younger guy, so it, it like it's not gonna be like it shouldn't be a huge detrimental injury to him. Um, it could be, but I don't I don't see it happening that way. Uh, in best case scenario, he's back um before the midway point of next year. So, yeah. Too bad for the Denver Nuggets and Jamal Murray. I also like the swagger that he plays with. Like he he plays with a lot of swagger and confidence, and i I like I like his mojo. I really do. So I hope he you know gets well. Um, and before I move on to my next segment, I'm a, you know I'm gonna give a shout out. Shout out to one of the pod, uh, one of the one of the listeners of the pod, one of the listeners of this podcast. Um he sent me some Luka Doncic artwork. It was fire. Uh, so I greatly appreciate, I, br- I greatly appreciate you sending this out um, or, you know, sending this to me, the Luka Doncic artwork. Um, really, really, really cool artwork. You know, you really got a good gift. So shout out to that. And the person knows who I'm talking to. Shout out to to you for, um, to get, you know, sending me the artwork. It was pretty good. But Let's move on from one young player to another. Let's talk about Jason Tatum. Let's talk about Jason Tatum. And last week, and I thought about this last week um, on last Wednesday's episode. I talked about how I talked. I think I broke down. Excuse me. I don't know. It was last week's episode. I think it was Saturday's episode or Wednesday's episode. One of the two. But I basically broke down ESPN. They came out with an. Uh, they came out some ESPN NBA insiders. They came out with uh, top twenty-five NBA players under twenty-five, and I I, I named you I, I like I called out the top ten, and it was it was not good. Uh it was not good, and it, it, they got a lot. Of, they received a lot of criticism and so forth. But the top three consist of Luka Doncic and Zion Williamson and Lamelo Ball at three. I I, I vehemently disagreed against that. Um, I don't think LaMelo, and I like LaMelo Ball, but he should not be at three. Um, And then they had Devin Booker at eight. I vehemently disagree with that one. I, I, I like those were the two of like real big grievances that I had with that list. But then I thought about even more. I was about a guy like Jason Tatum, a guy like Jason Tatum, where he's talked about and I think we all acknowledge, like, how good and, ta- and like, how talented Jason Tatum is, Um, you know, how talented he is. But, like, we don't – I don't think we talk about him nearly enough. Like, this is Jason Tatum's last 10 games. 34 points, 27 points, 34 points, 25 points, 26 points, 22 points, 20 points, 25 points, 53 points, and then 28 points. Um, I don't think, and I know the Celtics has uh, they 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 have underachieved this year, um, a bit this year, and I've been very critical with the Celtics this year as well, and a, a lot of that criticism has been aimed and pointed towards Danny Ainge and his lack of aggressiveness because over the last couple years he has failed to make this team better. Whether whether that has to do with pulling pulling you know pulling some cards to make a trade happen or signing Kimball Walker to the deal that they signed him to, um, that the Celtics are now regretting every single day that they look at the books. So it, it, it stems from that. A lot of my Celtics criticism stems from Danny Ainge and his lack of aggressiveness to pull the trigger. Uh, in order to make the Celtics better. But I I, I was compare. I'm trying to compare Tatum because when you when we talk about the best players under 25, obviously the first two players that come to mind or come to a lot of people's minds is Luka Doncic and Zion Williams. And rightfully so Zion is averaging 27 points or he's you know he's averaging about 27 points, seven rebounds, four assists and he's shooting 62% from the field. 62% from the field, and he's an average free-throw shooter at 70%. And we look at Zion, and we and, and, and he's, all, he's doing this in his second year in the NBA at 20 years of age. Crazy. And we look at Zion as a generational talent. We look at Zion as a unique talent because, like, he's not he, – he, he, he's a strong, solid force. Um, really dominant. He's a guaranteed two point, he's a guaranteed two points with anytime he's near the basket. And that gives a lot that gives people like Shaq type vibes. A lot of people compare his dominance to Shaq's dominance. And I don't I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that's that's not too far off. Like that's how good Zion has been. And then when you look at Luca, Luca is the quintessential playmaker. 67 big guy um can, you know can do can, he can do basically anything you need him to do offensively Sc- he can score at a high he, at a high rate he can play make and facilitate at a really high rate and he does it better than just about anybody in the league so when, when we look at those two we look at those two as distinct generational talents unique talents but when you look at Jason Tatum, I named you guys I, like I, I told you guys his scoring totals over the last 10 games. And when you think of Tatum, you're like, okay, I mean, people like I said, people acknowledge that he's talented. like we all know Jason Tatum's talented. And we all know he's one of the better um like what one of the better offensive isolation players in basketball. But when you look when, when a lot of people look at Tatum's game and when they evaluate t- Tatum's game they think of, you know, he's the he's a typical wing pe- player that can score at three levels and so forth. He's the typical, that's what people usually think about with Tatum. They acknowledge that he's talented and he can score in in in, in just any facet of way you can think about. But it's like we've seen a lot of these type of wing players in in, in in league history. Like, how many wing players have in league history have been able to score at, at all three levels? Ball had, Like, we've seen that. We've seen that, right? But despite Tatum not being a, a, a quote-unquote generational talent or a unique talent, I still think you can't overlook Tatum. Um and, and like I said, when we we're, when we're, when we mention best players under 25, yeah, we mentioned Tatum, but we mentioned Zion and Luca first. And I have no problem with it. I understand. But I think Tatum is right there in that same class. Um and and one could argue that Tatum like would you have would you have a problem with somebody ranking Tatum over Zion at this point? Because Tatum is a more refined offensive player. He's a more refined player, period. Um, he's had more playoff success. And I know, and I know with playoff success, a lot of that stuff has to do with situation and the supporting cast around you. And the Pelicans have yet, they like they have yet, they're struggling. They're still trying to figure out the pieces to put around Zion in order for Zion and the Pelicans to win more games. But Tatum, he, you know, rookie year, he didn't put up crazy numbers in the regular season. He averaged like 14, 15 points, but his rookie postseason, like you look at the postseason, he carried the Celtics. Um, Then, you know, the following year, his second year, Kyrie came back, and that 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 whole team as a whole just underperformed, so you can kind of scrap that out. But then last year he leads the Celtics back to the Eastern Conference Finals. So you're looking at a guy in Tatum, where uh, Tatum he's had he's had some some deep playoff runs. He's had some deep playoff runs, and I I I will insist, um, or I can only imagine that he's going to have more deep playoff runs. And Luca. He got to the playoffs. He led the Mavericks to the playoffs and so forth. But like I said, when I when I mentioned six playoff success, a lot of it is just situational and circumstantial, and like what the supporting cast look like. And I, I I mean, like I said, Jason Tatum, the stuff that he's overcoming in Boston, it's a lot. Even though we think of Boston as a good franchise and a you know a winning historic franchise. Like I said, Danny Ainge, he has been hesitant to pull the trigger. So now what you have in Boston, Boston has no depth. They have no bench. And and Kimba, like I said, the Kimba signing has not worked out. And he's a and he's a depreciating asset. So what you now have in Boston is you have Boston, Brad Stevens, Danny Ainge, and more so Danny Ainge, he's depending on a young Jason Tatum and a young Jalen Brown to carry out to carry the offensive load for the Celtics, and they're doing an okay job at it. Like their numbers look really good. They were both All Stars this year, but Tatum—that's that's a lot to ask of a young player. That's a lot. That's a lot to ask of a young player. So I think so. My whole point is, I think Tatum should be mentioned more when mentioning Luka and Zion. I think Tatum is in that same class, despite him not being, like, uniquely talented. Like, he doesn't have the Zion athleticism, or he doesn't have the, the craftiness of Luka. You know what I mean? Doesn't have the craftiness of Luka. But I, I, I still think he's in that class. I still think he's in that class. Simple. And you know what? I could be totally wrong about the Tatum thing. Like maybe people do mention him um, with Zion and Luca. Maybe people do. But I and I did a list on this last year where I ranked the top five players under twenty-two, and I did it right before Jason Tatum's twenty-second birthday. I and I like I that was it was nothing, you know. I didn't have any tensions intentions of doing that. I, it just so happenedly that I I did an episode right before his twenty second birthday, but I had Jason Tatum at two, and then Zion. But maybe I'm maybe 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 I am um I'm, maybe I'm on this island alone, and not to say that Zion maybe and I could change my mind. Maybe Zion uplifts the Pelicans. I know the Pelicans right now are at the 11th spot. Maybe that he can get them into the tenth spot and they get into the play-in, but I think Luca's number one. But may I could be I could be totally wrong. Maybe people do mention Zion. I mean, maybe people do mention Tatum with the Zion and Luca, but I also think people like they classify as Tatum. They they classify Zion and Luca as like unique generational talents, which they are. But then you like. Tatum is like the stereotypical scoring wing player that we've seen throughout the course of league history. Um, and and that's true, but I still think he could, he could be in the same class. I think he is in the same class. But let me move on. Let's move on to um, a topic that I don't know how it I, – like, I know how it gained traction, but I just don't quite understand why – it gained traction. Like I don't understand. I don't. But I guess it's, I guess this is just another example of what happens where when or when you have the correct people or group of people trying to push a narrative. And if you haven't if you haven't heard already, Julian Edelman, Patriots, or I should say former Retired now Patriots receiver. He announced his retirement. I gave it away. He announced his retirement. Right? He announced his retirement. Julian Julian Edelman. He and he and I must say, he had he has a really good story. Went to Kent State. Um played quarterback. Then he tran. you know, he had a transfer, you know. Changed positions in the NFL, went to receiver, actually played a little bit dB but went to receiver with the Patriots. he was there for twelve years, three Super Bowl championships, Super Bowl MVP and he turned out to have a pretty solid career he had a he had given his story and what he had to overcome, he had a solid career, and God bless. Julian Edelman. But the question of whether or not Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer should not be a question. It should be a resounding no. No, no, and no. Julian Edelman is not a Hall of Fame right receiver. He's not now you look at his playoff you look at some of his stats in the playoffs they um they, they they're really good he's second in uh postseason yards behind the great jury 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 rice he's second behind Jerry rice in postseason receptions and so forth so you look at those two stats and you know he's had some really big moments in the playoffs and so forth but He's not a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Sorry. He's not a Hall of Famer whatsoever. He's not. We never, and, and, and I like to go by my, I, like, I usually like to go by my eye test. Usually, when you see first ballot Hall of Famers, you know it. Like Peyton Manning, automatic first ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked. Uh, you look at Aaron Rodgers, automatic first ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked. Look at Barry Sanders, automatic first ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked. Like there's just guys. There's a there's just a boatload of guys, um, handful of guys where you look at their careers, you're like, no question about it, they're a Hall of Famer. They're a Hall of Famer, no questions. No first ballot Hall of Famer. Charles first ballot Hall of Famer, first ballot. But then you have guys like Eli Manning and Philip Vivers, where you have to, where it's a little bit of debate. Now with Eli Manning, I did, a, I actually did an episode um, on Eli Manning, whether or not he was, whether or not he should, you know, should he be a Hall of Famer or not, or a Hall of Famer or not. And I think he is. I think eventually, I think Eli Manning is going to be a Hall of Famer. May not be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I do think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I do think Eli Manning's going to be a Hall of Famer. And some people will probably disagree. But the reason why, I, I, like like Eli, top 10 in all-time passing yards. He has some, he's like, he's tops in all-time passing, re- in, in all-time passing records. Um, he made a couple Pro Bowls and also he won two Super Bowl MVPs. And you can't really tell the story of the NFL without mentioning Eli Manning, okay? But with Julian Edelman, there's no way on God's green earth that he's a Hall of Famer. There's no way. And yes, people gonna mention, look at the postseason success. Look at the look at what he did in the postseason. Uh, okay. I mean, it, it though. Like like I don't want to poo-poo it, but he contribute he contributed to a really good team. He was a he was a contribution to a team that won a lot. Yes. But I mean, you if you want a if you want a good cross sport analogy, I look at Robert Ori and Derek Fisher. Like Robert Ori and Derek Fisher were both some they were both critical contributions to championship teams. They hit big shots in big-time playoff moments and big-time championship moments, and they have a lot of playoff success. But Derek Fisher, nor Robert Ori, is an NBA Hall of Famer. And nor is, or, no, or nor should be, Julian Edelman. He shouldn't be. He's not. He has 36 career touchdowns. 36 career touchdowns. Think about that, thirty-six career touchdown passes. I mean touchdown receptions. That's Julian. That's Julian Edelman. Let me and you want to do some comparison, some compare and contrast, right? I look at a guy like Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward. Some people, most people, will probably argue that he's not a Hall of Famer. Most people. Some people think. Some people may think he is. I a lot of people I've heard they don't think Heinz Ward's a Hall of Famer. but in Hall and Heinz Ward can't make the ballot. like he can't make the finalist ballot. And I'm gonna read you out Heinz Ward's numbers, and I'm gonna read you out Julian Edelman career numbers. Here's Heinz Ward here's here's his numbers. Heinz Ward has a thousand receptions, over twelve thousand receiving yards with 85 career touchdowns, receiving touchdowns. Julian Edelman has 620 receptions, 6,800 receiving yards, and 36 touchdowns. So, so, and and not to mention, Hines Ward, he's a four-time Pro Bowler and a two-time Super Bowl champion. But you look at their stats side by side; it's night and day. Hines Ward has a thousand receptions to Julian Edelman's six twenty. That's almost that's three hundred and eighty more receptions. Hines Ward also has twelve thousand yards receiving yards. Hines Ward is du- he 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 doubles Julian Edelman in that in that category, and then touchdowns. Oh my goodness. He doubles Julian Edelman in that category as well. Let me look at another, um, you know, I think I, in my opinion, another Hall- a potential Hall of Fame receiver in Reggie Wayne. I think Reggie Wayne is a Hall of Fame receiver. He's a six time Pro Bowler, made all pro one time, and a, and a Super Bowl champion. Mind you, Julian Edelman never made a Pro Bowl. He never made a Pro Bowl team. He, he never made, I mean, Will, if he never made a Pro Bowl team, he damn sure ain't make an, an all-pro team because it's harder to make an all-pro team than to make a Pro Bowl team. He's made neither. He's made neither. And Reggie Wayne is a six-time Pro Bowler, and he made all-pro once. But Reggie Wayne has a 1,000 receptions, over a 1,000 receptions, he has over 14,000 yards and 82 touchdowns. So once again, Reggie Wayne nearly excuse me, Reggie Wayne nearly doubles Julian Edelman in every statistical category that matters. So when when people, you know, I, and like I said, Edelman has a good story, um this is probably more than what he bargained for. Coming out of Kent State as a quarterback, but even his Super Bowl, even the even he he won Super Bowl MVP, but even in that Super Bowl, he didn't even catch a touchdown. He didn't even catch a touchdown in that Super Bowl. He didn't even catch a touchdown. So I mean, uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I got to piss on Julian Elliman's retirement party, but. He's not a Hall of Famer. I'm sorry, he's not. And what? And once again, what am I sorry for? It's the truth. It's the God honest truth. He's not a Hall of Famer. And and and, and I have been to the Basketball Hall of Fame and the and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And there's just a certain there's a there's certain guys that should be in there. Sorry, there's certain guys that should be in there. And and, and, and Julian Edelman is not one of them. That's why you have the ring of honor. I do think he can make the Patriots ring of honor. I do think he should make the, you know, he should be in the Patriots ring of honor. Definitely. But a Hall of Famer? No way. You got to have production. And you got to have the stats. That matter. That that matters. You got to have some type of production along with the stats. Julian Edelman doesn't have it. He has the winning, but he, ha- he he lacks the production. He lacks the production. And if anybody think otherwise, if you think Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer, you need to be drug tested immediately or, or you need to do some deep soul searching because he's no, in no way he's a Hall of Famer. Sorry. But he's not a Hall of Famer. He's not. He's not a Hall of Famer, so I, and like I said, you can look at guys like Derek Fisher and Robert Ory, who who were critical parts, like they played some contributing roles in championship teams, but they're not hall, they're not they're not bass, they're not pro basketball Hall of Famers. No, they're not. And the same goes for Julian Edelman. Yes, he played with the Patriots for twelve years. He won a lot of games. He won a few Super Bowls and he's won Super Bowl MVP. But he's not a Hall of Famer. He's not. Sorry. He's not though. And when I look at other when I look at other receivers who have better numbers, like it's not even close. Like the numbers comparison is not even close. And they're not in the Hall of Fame. You know damn well Julian Edelman should not be in the Hall of Fame. Like, just to add reference and, like, context to the situation, I'm on Pro Football Reference, and no pun intended, and I'm looking at all-time leaders, and, and, like, as far as all-time receiving touchdown leaders, there's two. there's a list of 250 names. 250 names. Julian Edelman is not even in the top 250. He's at 267. 267. He's not even the top he's not even in the top 250 list as far as all time receiving touchdowns. He's not within the two fifty. He's at he's at two seventy two sixty seven. Absolutely ridiculous. He's not a hall of famer. He's not a hall of famer. I'm sorry. He's not an Hall of Famer. Um, that's just not Hall of Fame worthy. That's like and and certain guys, you certain guys you know are first ballot Hall of Famers, but there, there's certain guys you got to debate about. Uh, and like I said, Eli Manning is a really good example of a guy who you got to really debate about. But I think, in my opinion, I think Eli is a Hall of Famer. Top, he's top. He's top ten in passing yards. He's top ten in multiple passing categories. Two-time Super Bowl MVP. He's made multiple Pro Bowls. So, like, and, and think about this. Forget the stats too for a second. Have you ever looked at a Patriots game and think and be honest? Be honest. I have never looked at a Patriots game and said, you know what? Julian Edelman is a Hall of Fame receiver. He's one of the elite receivers in football. I've never said that. He did his job very well. His work ethics are great. And given the challenges that he had to overcome, your work ethics have to be strong. You know, hard worker and overcame a lot. But and just because you have, and he has a good story. But no, he's not a Hall of Famer. No. And like I said, you never looked at a Patriots game and you said, "Dang, Julian Edelman, he, he, you know, he's he's an elite receiver. He's a he's a he's he, he's one of the best receivers." You don't you don't you didn't say that. Like take another example, Wes Walker. Wes Walker played Wes Walker played for the Patriots. He's a five-time Pro Bowler, and two-time All-Pro. He has nine hundred. He has nine hundred career receptions, nine thousand receiving yards, and fifty touchdowns. So once again, he outdoes Edelman in every category, and it's by a wide margin. But Wes Walker probably won't make the Hall of Fame. He probably won't make the Hall. Walker probably won't make the Hall of Fame. So that answers a lot of you guys' question. Julian Edelman is not a Hall of Famer. And it's Patriot fans that's pushing this narrative. It's Patriot fan, It's Patriot fans that's pushing, it, that's pushing this agenda. That Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer. And he's just not. And it's disrespectful to any player that is in the Hall of Fame or that is um, approaching to be in the Hall of Fame. It is disrespectful that this is even a question because it should be a automatically resounding. No, Julian Edelman is not a hall of famer. You want to hear something funny about, uh, this Julian element, like little hall of fame thing. So get this Tyreek Hill of the Kansas city chiefs. He's 27 years old. <laughs> And he's played five seasons in the NFL. And he has, he's, he's played five seasons in the NFL. So he hasn't even played 12 seasons yet. And he has 47 career touchdowns already. He has 11 more career touchdowns than Julian Edelman. And he's only played five seasons in the NFL. And he's already a five-time Pro Bowler, a Super Bowl champion, and and a a three-time (laughs) all-pro. That's just some reference. That's just another reference um, for you guys to to like understand. um, You know, just understand (laughs) how, how low Julian Edelman career numbers are. But let me shift to this. So I know I know some of you guys are probably tired of me continually, just continuously to talk about this but I'm going to bring up Mac Jones in the fort in this 49ers situation. So the 49ers I, I I from all from from reports that I'm hearing um and I've been reading some people some people in the media think that this is just a, uh, uh, like, the biggest smoke screen ever, and the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, they're not taking Mac Jones, and then there's some people in the media that's just like, the pick is almost a lock, and it's going to be Mac Jones, right? So, I, we don't know at this point. We don't know. One half of the media thinks it's Mac Jones. The other half thinks... It's not uh, you know, they don't think it's Mac Jones. They don't know if it's Mac Jones, you know. So we don't know. So we just gotta wait to draft day. But let me preference my comments because some some of you guys may think I I some of you guys may think I'm saying Mac Jones is gonna be a bust and he's not gonna be good, and he's not gonna be this and he's not gonna be that. All I'm saying about this, with this situation right here is, right, right? Whoever the 49ers draft at quarterback, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine because the 49ers have one of the better offensive lines in football. I would probably, it's, it's definitely a top five offensive line in football. They have one of the better running games and running schemes in football. They have a pretty solid receiving core. When healthy, they have one of the better defenses in football. At least their front seven. Their front seven is legitimate. It's a legit like front seven when healthy. And with Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan is probably a top five offensive mind in football. Right? So Whoever, whoever, the, whoever they, they draft that quarterback, the young quarterback, whether it's Justin Fields, Mac Jones, or Trey Lance, whoever, whoever they draft out of those three, they have all of those things that I listed working for them. One of the best running games in football, one of the best offensive lines in football, one of the best offensive minds in football. And a a a relatively good defense when healthy. Whoever the young quarterback is, they have all of that working for them. And whoever the 49ers draft, they're gonna work. They're gonna work. Now, if the 49ers draft Mac Jones, the 49ers are literally, literally, at this point of the draft, with their their mindset is this hey. But at this point, the 49ers if they were to draft Mac Jones, they are drafting the same quarterback that they already have. Like the same concerns that they have about Jimmy Garoppolo, like Garoppolo has a defi- he has a defined low ceiling. That's Mac Jones. Mac Jones has a defi- he has a defined low ceiling. Yes, he would he's he, he would be ready to start automatically week 1, but he has a def- he has a defined low low ceiling. And that's my pro- and that's where I come into play. Because that's my problem with the 49ers. You moved all the way up. You you gave away three first round draft picks to move all the way up to number 3. To dr- only to draft a quarterback that has the same or a similar defined ceiling as the quarterback you already have, it just doesn't make it. Just, it just doesn't make sense. And like I said, whoever they draft, whether it's Mac Jones, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance, the, they're going to be fine. The quarter, it's going to work out. They're going to be fine, and it's, and, and it's going to work out. But a couple years down the line, once again, you're looking at the NFC West. Kyler Murray has a higher ceiling than Mac Jones. Russell Wilson definitely has a, I mean, Russell Wilson is a top three quarterback in football, so he definitely has a higher ceiling Than Mac Jones. Matthew Stafford. As a talent. We can assume. That he has a higher ceiling. Than Mac Jones. And the 49ers. They have all of these things. Working for themselves. One of the better. One of the best O-lines in football. A bright young offensive mind. As their coach. A really good defense. When healthy. All of these factors are in the 49ers' favor. But this one mistake at quarterback, because they drafted Mac Jones, who has a who has a this, he, who has a defined ceiling, just like similar enough to Jimmy Garoppolo, who is their quarterback currently. And you think about it and you look about and you look at what the 49ers gave up three first round picks to move up to th- to number 3 only to draft Mac Jones it just doesn't make sense that's all and that's my problem that's what i tried to express with the mac jones situation like the 49ers if the 49ers stayed at 12 and they wanted to draft mac jones which which is which was possible. They could have done that. They could have done that. But they moved all the way up. They gave up a lot. They, they are bargaining that they're going to be a pretty good team, which they are. But if the goal is to win a Super Bowl, I don't see that happening with Mac Jones as your quarterback because he presents the same problems, the same issues, the same concerns that you have about Jimmy Garoppolo and is that and and that is a defined ceiling he has a relatively he has a relatively low ceiling just like Jimmy Garoppolo Mac Jones so those are my thoughts those are my thoughts with the 49ers um in that situation and like i said half of the media they think half of the media thinks It's going to be, it's not going to be Mac Jones. The other half, they feel so confident and so strongly that it's going to be Mac Jones. So we'll just see. It's only a matter of time. Hey, y'all, what do you mean? Okay, you want some new sportswear? You want some new sports apparel? You want to rep your favorite team? What are you waiting for? Go over to the 47 brand. They have up to a 30% sale right now, up to a 30% sale right now. At the 47 brand, they have your favorite teams. It don't matter what sport, what league. It can be college football. It can be NBA, NFL, MLB, um, NHL. It does not matter. The 47 brand has it. Go over there. Rep your favorite team. Don't miss out on that sale. The 47 brand. Okay. So let's shift gears to the Philadelphia Eagles, whose franchise, where you know the franchise have just uh if you look at where it was just a couple years ago, you were thinking, oh, this is you know the Eagles. One of the, you know, young offensive line, Carson Wentz, and you know, get, you know, Philly won the Super Bowl, so forth. Eagles, you know, they look like they had something, right? They look like they, they looked like they had something. Um fire Doug Peterson. Carson Wentz is gone they're paying the eagles are still paying Carson Wentz and he and he uh he plays for a different team the eagles are paying Carson Wentz and he plays for a different team okay that's how that just imagine how crazy that is right and now there's a report that came out about how Doug Peterson was treated like a baby um, he was micromanaged and so forth um, and how, you know, didn't have really any say and so forth. It's basically a report that discovers what a lot of people been talking about. Howie, Ro- Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie, GM um, Howie Roseman, and then Jeffrey Lurie is the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles and how they are on a power trip. They're on a power trip, and they are control freaks. They're control freaks, right? Harry Roseman wants to make a lot of football moves. He wants to be involved in every football move, but doesn't have a lot of football knowledge. The same goes for Jeffrey Lurie. And like I said, you look at this Eagles franchise, where it was a couple years ago, and, you know, we, you know, the Eagles were fun. Remember that that. that Um, that statement that Lane Johnson came out with? Lane Johnson was like, you know, the Patriots, they win, but they're boring. And we're the Eagles and we're the underdogs and we're fun. And we went, you know, you guys remember that. You guys remember that. And it was a whole big thing. The Eagles were making fun of how the Patriots are boring and so forth and so forth. But now you fast forward and you look at where the Eagles are now. I don't think I think I think most people would tend to agree that the Eagles are going to be bad this year. The Eagles are going to be bad. They have a roster compiled of older parts, um, older, older pieces, older players on expensive contracts. And that's not a good recipe for success. Uh, and those play those and those, oh, it's not in those older players that they have on contract that they're paying a, tons of money to, they're injury prone or they're just older, they're just older, play they're paying a lot of older players, and it's not compiled. They don't have any, they don't have a lot of young talent, um, up and down the roster, they just don't. So, a lot of people would agree that the Eagles are going to finish probably last in their division they're going to finish last in the nfc's probably and they have a young quarterback in jalen hurts who i have a lot of questions about who a lot of people have a lot of questions about and so forth um and i and i in in my bonk draft i talked about how i just talked about how poor of a job the eagles have done over the last Several years at drafting. As I told you guys, the Eagles, Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, the people that the, the dudes that want to continue to make football decisions and choices were the same dudes that drafted Jalen Rager ahead of Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson went on to have an all pro year as a rookie, while Jalen Rager was consistently hurt and never really never really found his niche, right? There's only one year, but Justin Jefferson is an all-pro already. <laughs> Jalen Rager hasn't found his niche. As I mentioned, over the last six years, the Eagles have drafted one Pro Bowl player. One, they've drafted one offensive Pro pro Bowl player. You know who that was? It was Carson Wentz. As I mentioned, he doesn't even play for the Eagles anymore. So the one Pro Bowler that the Eagles drafted over the last several years, they don't even play for the Eagles. And time and time again, the Eagles have dropped the ball in the draft. Time and time again. They have dropped the ball with their coaches. Look at Andy Reid. Andy Reid got to four, I think he got to like four or five NFC championship games, right? Um, And then at the end of his term, the Eagles, they they started to become a mediocre team. They fired Andy Reid. They hired Chip Kelly. Now, mind you, I wasn't the biggest fan of Chip Kelly. But... His first two seasons, he did go 10-6, and and it just was a complete down spiral from there as, you know, Jeffrey Lurie and Harry Roseman, they're power freaks. They're control freaks. They want control. They end up firing Chip Kelly. Then they hired Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson brings in his coaching staff. Doug Peterson... Is he? He's a he's an Andy Reid disciple, offensive mind. Uh, they they you know they usher in Carson Wentz. They win a Super Bowl with Nick Foles, and it's so magical. And they were the underdogs, and so forth, right? And now they fired Doug Peterson, and now they hired Nick Sirianni, who's a puppet. Nick Sirianni is nothing more than a puppet. And I'm sorry, uh, you know, it's a really good job. I mean, he has a job that 31 people, that 31 other people only have. So to get an NFL job is really good. But this was not the best job to take at all. Nick Sirianni is nothing more than a puppet. He's going to listen. And Jeffrey Lurie and Harry Roseman, they're going to have his undivided attention, as they should, because they cut his check. But he's not going to have any say-so. He's not going to have any power. As far as the personnel, nothing. He has no say-so. And this is what the Eagles franchise has turned into. A power struggle, a power trip. And, and a bunch of control freaks in the front office trying to make football moves when they're not football savvy. Simple as that. Um, and I hate to be the bear of bad news, but Nick Sirianni, I don't think he's gonna last long. And it seems like with the with these past Eagles coaches, uh, especially Doug Peterson, you know when when the Eagles win you know, Jeffrey Lurie and, and 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 Howie Roseman, they 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 give themselves the credit. When the Eagles are losing and when the Eagles don't look too good, they deflect credit. They deflect criticism, right? Um, and this and like I and, and this is this is this was my whole entire point about Carson Wentz last year. It was bigger than Carson Wentz struggling. Yes, Carson Wentz did not play well last year, but it was bigger than that. It was bigger than Carson Wentz not playing well. It was bigger than Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz not having the best relationship. It was a it was ultimately a power struggle in Philadelphia that led, that leaked into the rocker room, and it led onto the field. Simple as that. Now let's shift gears. I'm uh, this is going to be my last segment. I'm going to leave you guys with this. I don't want to be long. Um so Mavericks owner Mark Cuban Mark Cuban uh he criticized he criticized the play-in game tournament. The play-in tournament. So the NBA <clears throat> they have this they have in, they have inserted this play-in tournament um if you guys recall, they did this last year in the bubble. And it created some excitement. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. It it, it created some excitement. But Luca Dantich, uh Maverick superstar, he criticized the idea of the play-in. Um and Maverick and as I mentioned, Mark Cuban has been um he 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 agreed with Luca, his superstar. He agreed. Um uh, Cuban has concerns over the NBA um compacted schedule. And this is an actual quote from Cuban. Uh, he says, "I get why the NBA is doing it, but if we are going to be creative because of COVID, we should go straight. We should go straight up one through twenty, and let the bottom four in, or let the bottom four play in. Excuse me. This this is the year, particularly to do this, to do it since ten games have been cut. So, Regleys you know so." This year, it's a seventy-two game regular season. Usually, it's an eighty-two game regular season. And I think, I think, I think Cuban and Luka Dodgers have a point. Um, me personally, I'm not like I didn't mind. Like I, I don't like with these type of situations. I don't mind the play-in game or the play-in tournament, but let's just remember why. The two main reasons why the the NBA inserted and added this play-in tournament last year in the bubble was first for more revenue and more or more money and second Zion Williamson. Last year they wanted to get Zion, they tried the NBA tried everything to get Zion Williamson back in the playoffs. They tried everything. They tried the play-in tournament. Um and this obviously was going to increase ratings, so that's money. But, but the this this whole situation with the play-in tournament, I feel like it rewards teams that were like below five hundred. And I'm and I'm 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 talking about the East too. Like I'm talking about the Eastern Conference mainly. But like in the Western Conference, like if you're the 10th spot throughout 72 games then you're probably the 10th best team in the conference <laughs> like and I feel like the playing tournament it kind of negates and it diminishes the regular season it diminishes the regular season I feel like because like I, like I said throughout a set, throughout the course of a 72 game regular season and I think Luca I think Luca had a similar point to this where he was saying, what's the point of playing a 72 game regular season if the play in tournament you you play the play in tournament and you end up just what if you lose like what if a 7 seed lose you know it, it just doesn't make it just doesn't make sense and I, I i from that standpoint i do agree and like i said i'm not like, I'm not huge on these type of things. Um, it doesn't sway me one way or the other. I do think when you have this type of situation and this type of format with the play-in tournament, it does negate the regular season. And to a certain extent, it does negate the regular season and how the regular season is viewed. Because... You know that's that's some of the problem right now with how you know the regular season is viewed. Some teams sit back and you know you, you know we'll play when it's time to play in the regular season and so forth. So I, I get where Mark Cuban and Luca and the frustration. I, I get why they're criticizing the play in tournament and I think it's rightful. And also a lot of a lot of these injuries, this con- this condensed schedule. I think a lot of these injuries you can correlate a lot of these injuries to the condensed schedule. I mean LeBron, AD, um Joel and B, Jamal Murray more recently, just a lot of injuries throughout the NBA. I mentioned uh James Harden. It's just a, this with this, with this condensed schedule, you I think you can correlate some, um, a good share of these injuries towards the condensed schedule. So it's going to be interesting to see how the NBA carries it out over the next couple of years, as far as like, do they want to continue doing this? Because it does to a certain degree, negate the regular season and you're rewarding bad teams. You're rewarding teams that's below 500. But as I mentioned, what are the reasons why the NBA added the format? They first last year for last year, last year, they added the format for more revenue. More revenue. So it's going to draw interest. It's going to be entertaining and people going to watch. Also, last year, they tried their best to get Zion into the postseason, into the play-in game, so he had a chance to make it to the postseason. So it's just situations like that. But uh, I'm going to leave you guys right here. Without further ado, I'm going to let you guys go. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I hope you did. Um... Always remember, two choices, one decision. I see you guys on Saturday. It was a great pod. Thank you guys for tuning in. Tuning in. Keep, continue to continue to show support and love. You guys are doing a great job. I greatly appreciate it, as I always tell you guys. But I'm out. Peace, deuces. Enjoy.